Hello and welcome back to the Rheumatology Physio Podcast. I'm delighted to get this kind of podcast recorded. I've been trying to do it for absolutely ages. This is the fourth in the series of five podcasts all about axial spondyloarthritis sponsored by Novartis and I am very grateful to them to enable me to be able to record podcasts such as this one and put it out for you guys to listen to. So as I mentioned I've been trying to record this podcast for a while and this has enabled me to speak to Dale Webb of NAS, the National Axial Spondyloarthritis Society, as if they need any introduction at all, and also Bethany Dawson, who has had axial spondyloarthritis for a number of years. And as you will hear as we go through the interview, her experience is quite reflective of women who are often forgotten in this disease. So really fascinating listen. Please do head to the comments below in the show description and you'll find links to NAS and also a feedback survey about the podcast. If you don't mind filling that in, it's super helpful for us. There's also a link to Novartis's Learning Hub where you can see loads of information all about axial spinal arthritis. This is completely free to access. And if you haven't, of course, been and listened to the previous three episodes of this series, then I would advocate going and doing that. Really good information in those, of course, and I've really enjoyed doing them. So listen to this, learn a lot, as I did. Really, really fascinating talk and um, certainly one to make you think about what patients are experiencing and how physiotherapists and MSK therapists can help in this space. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Rheumatology Physio Podcast. And I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Dale Webb of NAS and also Bethany Dawson. Um, and we're going to talk all about um, sort of patient perspectives of axial spondyloarthritis and also NAS as well. I can't have Dale on and he would not promote NAS a little bit. Um, so we'll talk about that um, as well. Um, so starting off, I just want to get you two to introduce yourself, if you don't mind. We'll start with you, Dale. Um, what is it you get up to? Uh, what's your day job? Hi, so I'm Dale Webb. I'm the chief executive at NAS. I've been with NAS for the last four and a half years now, and I've, uh, my, my career has been mostly working in the NHS and then in academia and in charities, but always with a strong uh, health focus, really. And all of my work firmly rooted in the idea that charities can transform patient care, but the patient voices have to be at the, the, the front of the work that we do. Mm, lovely. And certainly um, that's something I've definitely experienced with NAS, definitely pull their weight let's say, in the uh, in that patient world, don't they? Well, we're certainly trying to, and certainly over the last four years, really, significant programmes of work that are trying to get AXPAR much higher on the, the political and policy agenda, as well as providing much stronger support to people in their long-term lives to manage the condition, which in the context of the last two years has been especially important, really. Yes, yes, exactly, for sure. And uh, Bethany, yourself? Yeah, so uh, I'm Bethany. I am a journalist by day, uh, but my other full-time job is having Axial Spa. Um, I've had the condition now for coming up to 10 years, and um, a lot of that time has been working to, again, kind of get people to realise that, that, that young people have arthritis, that it is a really significant condition that affects a lot of young people, and um, I really enjoy working with NAS uh, on, on that project. Wonderful. Thank you both for joining me and really 
a real pleasure to talk to you and uh, get some information across to the listeners, physios and those kind of things, get some bit of awareness about axial spondyloarthritis and um, understand their role in, in the disease as well. Um, let's start with you, Bethany. You mentioned about 10 years ago was your diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Really super personal. How old are you now? So I'm 23 now. So 23, I'm 30. gosh. Yeah, so so uh, axial spar generally comes on your late teens to to early twenties, but I, I I got there a little bit early, um, which is not generally how I operate the rest of my life. But here we are, and um, I got chronic back pain after a surgery, and I was told I had nerve damage, and was kind of. Um, I'm trying to find a, a more professional word for fobbed off, but I think that's where we're going to go. And I was told um, it was nerve damage. And then when I started to raise the fact that actually the pain was going from a very specific area of my lower back to my hips, to the rest of my back, I, no one quite was giving me the um, attention that I felt like I needed because I was I was very young and in a lot of pain. and I was really scared. Um, when we started to do a little bit more, kind of exploratory work to figure out what was going on there was a point where I was told that I was uh I was making it all up uh that it was in my head and that's unfortunately not a common experience for people to go through um and it wasn't until I was 18 that um the words axial spar and closing spondylitis were were finally said I have a form that is non-radiographic so it doesn't turn up on um on any scans um based on my own research I'm pretty sure that's more common in women however I don't know um I don't know for sure so please yeah I don't need to be cited on that one but um it was it was really really difficult so I've had now five years of being diagnosed and five years without and those five years were that I that I wasn't diagnosed was incredibly difficult um and I still now have to force sometimes people to realize like no I do have arthritis it's fine I know you know I don't look like I I do even though there's no real way to look like you have arthritis um and so I definitely got over the hardest bit but it doesn't mean that it's not still a bit of a struggle yeah and really formative years as well 13 to 18 isn't it real challenge and um certainly you mentioned about ladies uh being non-radiographical that's definitely definitely true um but also my experience, but also I think borne out in the data is this more of a delay for women in diagnosis, um, which will come to you, Dale, in a minute about that. Um, but also this real um, lack of recognition in women with this still historical assumption that it's a male disease. Um, just with most, mostly our listeners are physiotherapists, osteopaths, that kind of thing. In that, those first five years, did you see physiotherapists or osteopaths, chiropractors in that period of time? Or was it mostly doctors? Yeah, so I actually had a multidisciplinary po- approach. I was, I was really lucky to have that. Unfortunately, it didn't lead to a diagnosis, but it, I do recognise that, that that was great. Unfortunately, for me, I was really stuck when it came to physiotherapy in being told you need to move more, you don't move enough, which of course is, is very true for AS. And one of the main treatments is exercise. But I was in too much pain to move because I was completely unmedicated. No one knew what was going on. So I, I wasn't moving. I needed to move. But instead of the question being, does it get better when you exercise? The question was, God, why are you so lazy exercise? And even I, I remember being shouted at by a physio once um, 
because I was sitting with a hunched back and I was in so much pain and kind of like my lower body. I just wanted to curl up at all mm. times. Um, and I think before the diagnosis, they saw a very young girl who was still like doing weekly PE at school. And I think they were understandably frustrated about, you know, she should be playing netball. I went to an all girls school. She should be playing netball. She should be, you know, doing all this stuff, which I fundamentally couldn't do. Um, and, and that was really difficult. So I had a slightly complicated interaction with physiotherapists because <laughs> I wasn't giving them what they needed. They weren't giving me what I needed. It was, it was not great, but the best thing I did get when I went to university, um, was I started going to the gym and I got a personal trainer for a little while, um, who was also qualified in physiotherapy. So he knew actually don't do these exercises, do do these exercises. And it really gave me control of my body back, which, uh, still lasts to, 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 to still lasts to today. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and if we take your experience of this five years of delay, and if we look into the sort of the research and the, to talk to a lot of people, actually with the women's for about nine years for delay to diagnosis, which would have meant, you know, if we extend yours out, you'd have only just been diagnosed sort of last year, maybe. What are your thoughts on the, that current situation? I think there's, it's kind of a twofold issue. So people are going to be in incredible amounts of pain. AS is very, very painful and it is a life changing condition. Um, I'm very happy that I have achieved everything that I want to with my AS, but it has been a fight. So you are in a crippling amount of pain, especially if you don't know that it is AS and therefore that you're not exercising like I wasn't. Now that I, you know, I walk to work every day and I can do swimming, it makes me feel better. When your back is killing you, you're not, your brain tells you not to, not to exercise, don't move it, stay still, which makes you worse. So you have this physical element of the delay, but the mental health aspects are horrific. You, you know, as I said, I was told repeatedly that I was making it up. That in itself, you are fighting with this thing and you're being told it's fake and because it's invisible you have no way to prove otherwise and for me my heart sank every time a blood test came back normal or a scan came back normal because all I wanted was one of my discs to be you know on the wrong side of my body just so someone could see that it was wrong um and the only thing actually that ended up showing there was an issue was a SPECT CT scan so a radioactive scan which shows um shows inflammation and they I remember the rheumatologist going like oh my god you are in pain I was like finally <laughs> yes I am but I when I was when I was a kid and I remember explaining it like I have this little man on my back and he's beating me up all day but no one can see him and no one's helping me no one wants to help me and it, you feel so alone and it that is very common with AS. Mental health problems are incredibly common, um, especially when, you know, you're very young. You want to be able to do things. I didn't know if I was going to be able to move out for university. I didn't know if I was going to take any of my exams. Um, and you feel like your, your world is being run by this incredibly severe pain, but no one 
believes you and then when you get told what it is you have absolutely no idea how to say it let alone what it means because it is so like underspoken about and it's so underrecognized and when you figure out it's arthritis you're like but I'm I'm 18 how do I have arthritis this doesn't make sense so then you go through this kind of learning process of knowing what is wrong with you and it's 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 difficult and I recognize how lucky I am to have only waited five years but I also recognize how awful that is that I have to be grateful um because yeah when I I last worked with NAS I met a woman with AS who um she'd had two kids and going through that period when you know you're having children you're getting married um I was living at home my mom was cooking for me every day and French GCSE was the top of my priority list um so you know it was an incredibly formative and difficult time but I cannot imagine how much worse it would have been if the circumstances were different Mm. yeah it's mad isn't it to wait that long and then feel lucky to have only waited five years seems a crazy situation brings me really nicely to you Dale with the work of NAS and um I'm going to plug in the um, gold standard time to diagnosis and and these kinds of things what kind of work are are NAS doing at the moment to advocate for the for people um, like Bethany to try and bring that waiting time down so she doesn't have to spend all those years um, with those symptoms well I mean we're doing quite a lot on on multiple fronts actually first of all we laid out last year a route map based on consultation with patients and professionals and professional bodies, a route map from symptom onset to diagnosis, which follows the patient and which makes each part of that process um, as quick as possible. So for example, public awareness, people don't know about inflammatory back pain, but the work we're doing, the work we're trying to do with others as well, is to raise the consciousness about what axial spar is, to introduce people to a limited number of symptoms in the first instance via our SPINE acronym, then um, link them through to our website with the online symptom checker, which incorporates the three current validated uh, inflammatory back pain criteria. Um, They then do a symptom checker. They then go to their GP with a printout, which tells the GP, please look at the SPADE tool for further assistance, and then please refer your patient directly to rheumatology. And our website gives patients advice on how to prepare for the GP appointment, how to prepare for the rheumatology appointment. So all of that public awareness raising in the first instance is critical. But then when they get to primary care, and this is the key thing, that patients get bounced around. And Bethany's touched upon a really important point about gender and axial spa. We hear, even last week on the helpline, constantly women telephoning us saying, I'm told by my GP, it's all in my head. And we know some of that is legacy about the fact that um, that, that, um, ankylosing spondylitis is uh, less uh, 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 um, prevalent in women, but overall axial spa, it's equal men and women. But nevertheless, it's a big issue within primary care. So we've just created a primary care clinical champions program to raise um, clinical visibility within primary care. We're working with others to create to, to support pop-up tools on GPs information systems to raise axial spar on the index of suspicion. And we're doing work across the UK to look at referral pathways. So when they get to rheumatology, we want to ensure the patient has a timely assessment and appropriate assessment and imaging. And so we're doing some work to promote the Brits Bar MRI guidance. So there's a whole route map we've laid out of things to do. We've also been working with policymakers and parliamentarians to, to raise awareness about this. And we've just published at the BSR conference recently some provisional figures which show that for a person of average age of 26, 
with an average time to diagnosis of eight and a half years, the total cost per person to the economy of delayed diagnosis is £193,000. Now that's scandalous. That's cost to the economy from person not being able to work. That's all of their out-of-pocket expenses from visiting chiropractors and osteopaths, etc. And it's cost to the NHS. £193,000 per person. And we're now using those data to create discussion within Parliament about delayed diagnosis and to get axials far um, higher on the agenda of, of policymakers and, and our MPs. Mm. There's some, um, probably some uh, politically incorrect, not to use the pun, but um, reasons why using monetary figures might get things to the front of people's minds, as opposed to the fact you think it would be sufficient to say, you know, like Bethany suffered for five years badly, that maybe that's not enough to, um, to some people, but yeah, an astounding figure, really. Um, keeping it with sort of physiotherapist Dale, is there anything um, uh, specifically for physios at the moment um, that you're working? Obviously, they're going to fit into some components of the pathways and in primary care, but are you hearing much from physios and directing things directly at physios at the moment? Yeah, I mean, physios have a, have a critical role to play in the entire pathway. So, for example, in our Aspiring to Excellence programme, the team in Newcastle have been doing work with community-based physiotherapists, education around Axial Spa, and it's proven to reduce, to improve identification of patients and get them referred quicker through the system. In our new um, clinical champions program in primary care, we've got numerous FCPs who've applied for that uh, award and got it, who will have a really important role in championing axial spa within primary care. So the diagnosis part of the pathway, critically important, but after that, really important too. We've just surveyed 900 patients or people with axial spa, asking them, what do you really need and value in NHS services? And we ask people to say what you need and then to rate what you've currently got. And across a, a wide range of metrics, people with axial spa are not getting the support they need from physios, but also from their rheumatology team in its broadest sense. So, for example, advice on how to manage your pain levels or manage flare ups or information about exercises that are particularly tailored to your axial spa, um, the impact of axial spa on your daily living, et cetera, et cetera. And what people tell us time and again is the clinician isn't joining up the dots and seeing the whole person. Now, Bethany talked about mental health. Mental health is such a big issue. It's, there's a massive burden of disease of mental health and axial spa that simply isn't being addressed by physios, by other professionals. So the, the big message is about seeing the whole person and in the interaction between the person and the patient and having patient-driven care, asking people about their, 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 their emotional well-being and their personal goals and the, the broader context in which they're living their life. That's a critically important thing for physios. But I would say too, also maybe for physios, perhaps who haven't been to a NAS branch, come along. And if you have a particular interest, say Nordic walking or something, do a session on that. Or talk to NAS and do a Facebook Live on a particular topic that's of interest to you. Certainly go to our website, where there's ample resources for you to be looking at, both about the diagnosis part of the pathway, but also their treatment and care. So ample opportunity here. Absolutely. Absolutely. It brings me a little bit on to sort of my next set of questions, really, which um, moves away a little bit from diagnosis and more into management and the role of physiotherapists there. Um, Bethany, what's your experience of physio since being diagnosed? Is that um, have you had a lot? Has it been good? What, what's kind of happened there? It's, it's been quite limited, um, which I think is, is a shame. Obviously, a big part of that, I think, has been funding. Um, I can't say I have the cabinet office figures in front of me about how much money goes into the NHS and specifically to physios but 
it can be really difficult to kind of bear your soul to a physiotherapist and say, you know, this is my really difficult journey to diagnosis. Great, you'll have one session of leaflet and then we'll call you, you know, for a month, which again has been very much part of the pandemic as well. Um, for another health issue, I had to get physio during the pandemic and that was not easy for either of us, um, I imagine. I think a lot of it has been, as we've already touched on, quite gendered and also quite disheartening when maybe there were comments that was something along the lines of, yeah, you just look like a normal 18 year old. You're just a bit stiff. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm a bit stiff is good. Cool. Mm. Um, and so I think there's a lot of no one did anything wrong, but they just weren't given the information on what the condition was and there probably wasn't enough time they're probably again and that's due to funding uh there wasn't enough time to really discuss how my body is affected and also I think patients need to be empowered to learn how their body is affected it, it took me a while to learn actually one of my hips has way less motion than the other so I need to figure that out and again that was only when I was going to the gym and I was with a personal trainer and he asked me to do something didn't work couldn't do it um so I think one of the issues with such a huge delay to diagnosis is you become very alienated from your body you don't want to think about it you don't want to think about your pain and then it's quite a hands-on management process when you get your diagnosis you don't want to you don't want to think about how it affects you every single day you don't want to have to give that spiel to to medical professionals to physiotherapists etc um and I think again that comes back to the mental health aspect of it it is really really hard to to put you put yourself out there I've also done a lot of work for national arthritis and dating but we we, we won't we won't go on to that without kind of putting yourself out there. But, I, but it is really, really difficult to oh, kind of let another person in almost to, to, your, to your journey um, with, with AS. Um, mine has been, has been hard. As I said, I have other medical problems, which then, again, circles back to what Dale was saying about, you know, knowing the whole person that you're with. I, I um, have... A, a bad ankle deformity I'm currently in a one of those really nice air boots um and it was really really difficult to say these are all the problems with my body because you feel like a bit of a burden when you've been told no you're making it up no you know you need to stop taking up NHS time kind of thing when you say by the way actually I've got more chronic pain um so I think it's definitely it's not not akin to dating after you've had bad experiences because you are having to relearn how to put yourself out there. You are having to relearn how to present yourself, how to advocate for yourself. And that's, that's really hard um, after, after so long. And reading between the lines a little bit, it sounds like uh, the physiotherapy you've had has been sort of general physiotherapy rather than within the rheumatology department. Um, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I have a really great rheumatologist, um, but the physio I've always been referred to has been general, which is not necessarily the best course of action. Um, but even when I have spoken to rheumatologists, specialist physios, you again kind of often get comments that are like, 
we don't see people as young as you in here. You look fine. You're, I'm sure your joints are great. My joints are awful and it doesn't matter that I'm 23. Um, and you, you do have to quite consistently battle expectations of what it means to be someone with arthritis. Yeah, it comes back to sort of Dale's point about raising awareness of it actually being a very young person's problem, um, doesn't it? And it's um, frustrating that the professionals don't realise that, never mind the public. I mean, you know, that's that's really challenging. Um, what about, um, has physio, I know it's been limited, but do you feel like your interactions have been overall positive to help you? Or do you feel like they've been, you're shaking your head already, um, you feel like they they've been neutral or do you do you feel like they've actually hindered I think neutral in terms of there's been good and there's been bad the good mm. is like you know learning what your body can do learning what your body is capable of and learning what is good for you is still is is amazing but kind of like a lot of things with AS you really have to fight to get there and at least in my experience kind of leads you to, to almost giving up a little bit because it is it is so difficult and you know I can do things like um more or less I can touch my toes without bending my legs and you do uh, my knees sorry and you do that and I've kind of been told oh you, you're fine then you know it's like no I and again it just comes back to I think when and please correct me if I'm wrong because I do not know how kind of physiotherapy training works but you often are treated like you are someone in their 70s or 80s with arthritis. So you're, you're treated as though your body has gone through, a hot, gone through more decades than it has. Um, and then when you present as a, as they've said, a stiff 20 year old, you're not quite given the time of day you need to learn how to manage it. So I think Again, it's been, I've had some really good experiences, but largely it's been a fight and and that is just exhausting. Yeah, I can imagine. I can absolutely imagine. Um, Dale, does that sort of mirror what you're hearing from um, people sort of more generally? Um, obviously, I think there's, there's definitely a postcode lottery as to what you get where. I, obviously, I worked in a rheumatology department. It was my job to look after axial spondyloarthritis patients for most of the week for example um but um you know do we see that sort of geographically varying across the country we certainly see variation in the availability of msk msk physiotherapists across the, the uk absolutely and some departments don't even have an msk within the team at all or access to one which is obviously really really challenging um, we see patients patients with great experience of, of physiotherapy and, and those those with, with, with less great in our recent survey um, one in five people weren't happy with their, with, with their initial appointment with the physiotherapist. And again, it's about the, the person as a whole, but also, you know, treating that conversation as a chance to create shared goal, uh, patient-driven goals. What do I actually want to achieve out of my life living with my axial spar? And having shared decision-making within the consultation about what they're trying to do and, and how they're trying to get there. I think they, sometimes the, the, the conversations aren't framed in the broadest sense. They're more limited about someone's function or their you know etc those kinds of things so I, I and certainly in our national network of NAS branches we've got fantastic relationships with with NHS physiotherapists who do brilliantly providing physiotherapy and hydrotherapy support and that really has been you know it's the, it's the mainstay of, of treatment after all for axial as well 
Yeah, no, it's really interesting, isn't it? Um, and um, sounds like Bethany's not getting a uh, hundred and ninety-three thousand pounds worth. <laughs> Going to get some more other back. Um, talk to me a little bit more, uh, Dale, about the the NAS groups. Um, obviously, I, I'm assuming if people want to be physically involved in that NAS group, they can go to the NAS website and um, and look for local ones. But uh, what other sort of roles within those groups do the physiotherapists play? Well, I mean, the, obviously the main role is to provide physiotherapy and hydrotherapy, but they also, you know, help to provide some cohesion within the branch itself. And those branch meetings are often a chance for patients to talk about their lives in more general terms, actually. It's the kind of peer support and camaraderie that you get through, through being involved, really. Um, but the physios are definitely a, a critical part of, of what those branches do. I would say to your subscribers, really, if, there's a, if there isn't a branch in your local area and you want to, to set one up, contact NAS and we're always looking to create new branches really but what's important is we have local physios who want to make it work because without them of course those branches simply can't run. Yeah, fair enough. Um, a bit more of a specific question to you Bethany about the physiotherapist knowledge of axial spondyloarthritis and how it was sort of physically affecting as in the almost the biology. Did you feel like they understood what was actually happening or in general, let's generalize, um, or do you feel like they were, I don't know, guessing maybe, or just completely misunderstood? I think there definitely was opportunities to explain it, for me to explain it, but that's really difficult. When it is your everyday, you are not, you know, being an AS patient does not mean you are a walking leaflet on it. And that sometimes is what it felt like. And, you know, NAS obviously provides great resources and, and maybe a good thing, definitely a good thing to do is bring them with you. Um, but before I uh, was aware of the wonderful work that NAS do, you do go in kind of thinking like, God, I need to remember what all the, and then, then my spine does that because that. And then I'm, I, I am a journalist. I was not good at GCSE biology. It, words, great. Bodies, not quite my forte. And so I think... You, the the responsibility is often on the patient and that's not fair anyway when you are you know like a 16 year old it, it's harder um so I think the knowledge was definitely hampered and um that didn't help it didn't help make things easier and it didn't it meant that if I forgot to say something like for example one of my hips is stiffer than the other then we just don't focus on that or if I say um, oh, my chest expansion isn't very good, which is a which is a common symptom of, of AS. Um, you know, we don't focus on that. And if I only say how my lower back hurts, then that's, you know. So I think it's it needs to be a more general and widespread understanding of AS. So the onus doesn't stop, does stop, sorry, being there needs to be a more widespread understanding of AS. So the responsibility isn't always on the patient because that's not their job. Uh, that definitely makes sense. It definitely makes sense. Um, the next bit of, of our discussion, I really want to go on to both of your advice to physiotherapists, right? Um, we'll start with you, Bethany. I think it's a good, good place for us to start. Like, if you had to give them, if you had to give all the physiotherapists in the, in the UK uh, and elsewhere, sort of two, one or two pieces of advice, and that would make everybody's life much better, what do you think those would be? So I think more generally, uh, what we've spoken about a lot and clearly is something that I care about a lot. Remember how patients struggle. So remember the fact that 
you know, women are more likely to be prescribed antidepressants or antipsychotics than painkillers. So when a woman comes to you, regardless of her age, she's going to probably have gone through quite a lot to get to you. The same with a young person with arthritis, they probably will have experienced, I don't want to say reverse ageism because I think that sounds silly, but they will have experienced kind of prejudices based on the fact that they don't look like they have arthritis. Um, And so I think that just have constantly remember that this isn't a um this probably won't have been a streamlined and easy process for this patient to go through so that might mean that they are nervous they are you know like I said um bearing a lot of the responsibility for pushing um to get a diagnosis um and also you know they might need that mental health support that they would we were talking about and you might need to remember that this patient has a lot more going on than simply that pain so I think that's the first thing um and I think the second would be learning the facts about you know obviously I'm going to say AS um and and that's what we're here to talk about so using that as an example but for a lot of different conditions knowing for example that the average age of onset is your late teens or early 20s so when someone you know maybe who looks like me maybe who's a bit younger comes in and says I'm in a lot of pain these are my symptoms you immediately don't think um they've got a slip disc from partying too much or something like that um and you know remember things like I said about gender so if someone comes in without radiographic evidence of AS you don't necessarily need to discard that option so I think just understand the different intersectionalities of different um, of how of how these diseases affect different people. Um, so yeah, my advice is definitely more focused on what the patient might have gone through and how this is part of a very complicated and potentially very difficult journey. Very good advice, like it. Um, same question to you, Dale. Any advice to physiotherapists, osteopaths, chiropractors? Well, first, we know from some research over the last couple of years that even among musculoskeletal physiotherapists, their knowledge of axial spire is less than one would hope it to be. But there are ample resources out there. So the NAS website, for example, our diagnosis website, actonaxialspire.com, gives great information for health professionals uh, along the entire pathway to understand the condition. But our main nas.co.uk website has a whole bunch of information, not just for professionals, but for patients. But actually, those patients' guides cover a wide range of topics that are just as much interest to professionals as they are to patients. So I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing in the context of the consultation is about, again, seeing the whole person, really, and helping that person identify their own goals and work with them in a shared decision-making framework to achieve goals. That's critically important to all of this. I certainly hear some feedback from um, some people I speak to, maybe Bethany, you'll be able to mirror this a little bit, but um, they'll have a referral. They've got Axbar, for example, and they have a referral because their back is painful. And then they'll go in and this sort of sort says to what you're talking about, Dale, but, and, you know, the back is painful, but they also have a lot of fatigue and maybe their feet are painful or their hands are painful or, or they're not sleeping well, but the concentration is on the back pain. Mm. um rather than as you've mentioned the whole person um and it can become a bit zeroed in is that sort of mirroring your experiences as well Bethany yeah I think definitely AS is a very complicated disease um and there are a lot of different facets and actually my diagnosis we knew I had back pain so throughout trying to figure out what that was 
it was always on the back pain and you know I had options of you know maybe we think you've broken your spine uh maybe there's a problem with your kidneys um I'm trying to think about all of the ridiculous options that we went through obviously entirely possible but so we had all these options and then when I finally met with uh, my rheumatologist who I'm still with he said oh when is it worse how is your fatigue how do you feel in the morning so these little things that really give an indication of what AS looks like um is what ended up being the diagnostic factor rather than just I have bad lower back pain and I think physios keeping that in mind will if it's pre-diagnosis not only help with that but also things of uh you know people with AS are incredibly stiff in the morning that's quite a big uh big factor because you've been still overnight you wake up your joints are kind of sticky which is not the professional term. Um, so it would be great if physios, you know, knowing that could go, okay, here's a great morning stretch that you can do. I have no idea if that would help. I mean, it helps me if it, if that's just a me thing, right. You know, here's a good morning stretch to make your, your day a little bit easier. Or here's a really good sleep position to try and be in that isn't going to hurt your joints as much. Knowing these little things rather than going, um, you know, rather than just saying, this is going to stretch out your SI joints, if they can be stretched out um will will help focus on the entire disease rather than just the most talked about symptom Brilliant. and in fact jack a couple of years back we worked with a stretch and created some videos which show how in very simple ways people with axial spark can incorporate exercise into their daily routine throughout the entire day really t- to help them so i would recommend to physios t- to have a look at those those videos oh yeah that preempts my last sort of question really which is about signposting we've talked about Act on axial spa.com, haven't we? Um, NAS.co.uk. Is NAS.co.uk? Yeah. It is. Um, any, um, the social media for NAS is at NAS Exercise, isn't it? Is that correct? That, that's right. And we also have a, a YouTube channel and, uh, and uh, uh, Facebook pages and LinkedIn. So all of the media channels, and even TikTok. And now we have some things on TikTok too. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I can't get I can't get myself on TikTok yet. That's, that's I haven't met quite managed. I think I installed it once and then uninstalled it immediately. Um, anything that you're aware of, Bethany, that you want to direct physiotherapists, especially to um, resources or anything that you could think of? I think might be helpful. As a, as a journalist, uh, I'm always going to say you should read my articles on it. But mm-hmm. if you you know, if you do come across articles, um, by people with AS um really make sure you read them I happen you know again not to just flag my own stuff but I've written quite a few articles for um I've written one for men's fitness I've written for the independent uh and I currently work at business insider but I am not a business journalist um and in all of those publications I have have work on AS and I've interviewed um, Max Poplowski, who often works with um, NAS, and he is a ex-professional triathlete with AS. So he's a really like interesting case of someone who is incredibly fit and active with this amount of pain, and it is quite difficult being his friend because I can I can't run 100 meters, but uh, that has nothing to do with AS, more just my own motivation. Um, and so I think kind of constantly look at what people are writing. There are a lot of really great. TikTok channels, in addition to NAS, people make YouTube videos, people have Instagram accounts dedicated to documenting their life with AS. And I think following them is a really good idea, just because then you do get that more um, 
well-rounded look at what it is like to live with AS rather than the uh, sadly short amount of time that is often allowed in a physiotherapy center. So just, yeah, I think researching what people are saying, looking that, and you know, if you want to follow me, uh, at the moment I'm just writing a lot on the Ukraine war, but uh, when I can write about AS, I do that too. That's brilliant, that's wonderful. Anything else that either of you want to um, get across to the listeners before we wrap up or we've got everything we've done, we wanted to say? I think from my perspective, we, we have some great relationships with, with physiotherapists individually, with A-Stretch, with the Charter Society of Physiotherapy, really. And physios are critical to the, the, the world and the, and the health and emotional well-being of people with Axial Spa. So thank you for the support you provide. Thank you for engaging with us. And we look forward to strong relationships continuing going forward. Yeah, brilliant. Definitely. Thank you. I think the thing that I will say as a person who has been through a very difficult journey with AS, every single professional you interact with has an incredible opportunity to help you through that journey and make it easier. So the more you know about AS, the more you learn about helping patients advocate for themselves, which might be something that is really uh, you know, not just mentally challenging, but physically as well, because then you do end up just lying in bed rather than helping yourself and helping your body. Um, you can really transform the lives of, of your patients. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much both for spending um, the best part of an hour with me. It's a really fascinating conversation. I really hope that um, this helps forward the journey as much as anything else, but get some, uh, get some of these points across to physiotherapists and um, like the rest of my colleagues as well. I'm trying to do that, trying to support everything that NASA is doing with as many voices as we can get on that. That's great. Bethany, any of your articles that you want me to uh, push towards my art, uh, my audience. Absolutely happy to do that. Always happy to do that. Um, they sound fascinating. Um, not so much the Ukraine war ones, but more the AS ones are more up my yes. street. I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, absolutely brilliant. And thank you very much. Thank you, Jack. Thank you.